Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here. My name is Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show and director of themanchurch.com. And we are so thankful that you're joining us for, for this week's Bible study. Uh, we have been gathering uh, with a group of men doing a Wednesday Bible study for a decade now. And if you want to go back and catch archives of uh, books of the Bible that we've already done or, or some of the uh, the commentaries that we have done Bible studies on, you can. You can find all those by going to themanchurch.com. There's a media button. It'll ask you if you want to watch it or listen to an archive and just click the one you prefer, and you can go and find those. We're currently in 2 Corinthians, uh, and we're walking through this book of the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 8 today, if you want to go ahead and, and turn there. A couple of things to just uh, that you may want to be aware of. Uh, so if you are catching this live, which would be on Valentine's Day, uh, look at all these men that, that are in the room on Valentine's Day. And I, for some of them, they had no idea until I just reminded them, which ex- <laughs> explains the big eyes that we now have. Uh, they're thinking to themselves, all right, this thing will take an hour. and then." Uh, but anyway, so um, here's what you need to know. This weekend in Birmingham, Alabama, February 16th and 17th, it is the Man Church Conference. Uh, it, it starts Friday night. We are so excited. There's still a few tickets that remain. Go to themanchurch.com if you want to get those. You can print them out at home. You can place them at will call. Or if you're going to be in Birmingham, you can get them at the door as long as there's some still available. Uh, we got Robbie Gallaty coming in Friday night. I'll be speaking Friday night. Chuck Hooten's doing worship. Uh, Rich Wingo on Saturday. Andy Blank's on Saturday. And I'll speak again on Saturday. So looking forward to that if you want to join us. And if you can't make that, Startville, Mississippi. Is coming up on March 8th and 9th. That'll be our next Man Church Conference. We'll have Granger Smith there, James Spann, Scott Dawson, Andy Blanks, and I will be speaking there, Chuck Hooten doing worship. Also part of these Man Church Conferences is we always launch brand new resources. And I'm just going to let the Bible study people in on something, and those of you that watch this, whether live or on the archive or listen to it, if you, want, if you can't get to either one of these places and you would like to have the latest resource, uh, it's a 31-day devotional called Sin Always Matters. And uh, you, can, you can get that now. I'm, I'm just letting you know because they've already put it there. You can go to manchurch.com now and get to the store. Uh, I think they're kind of hiding it down at the bottom right now because it doesn't officially come out to this weekend, but you can go ahead and order it now if you want to. Uh, it's the cost of sin and the power of God, 31 days through what Scripture has to say about God and sin. Uh, and so uh, so that is available uh, right now if you want to do that, and it will be available at both conferences as it launches this weekend. Also, I'm often asked about this shirt I have on. Okay? Every time I wear this shirt, I get all kinds of all comments. Where'd you get that shirt? Where'd you get that shirt? This was given to me as a gift from our producer in there, Chris Adler. Uh, his brother is friends uh, with a guy that has a, a company called Everyday Outdoors. Uh, so you can go to everydayoutdoors.com, and one of the things they offer is something called State Camo. You see mine has the state of Alabama on it because I'm from Alabama. But they can do it for your state no matter where you're watching this or listening to this. So if you want to go to everydayoutdoors.com, use the promo code BIGVOX. That's B-I-G-V-O-X, and I'll get you a discount too. And anything that we make off of the shirt, we're putting back into themanchurch.com and our ongoing men's ministry and all the things we're trying to do. So uh, so you can go get your own uh, state on the shirt, or if you're from Alabama, get one just like this. Okay, So let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's jump right into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, may you be with us. I, I'm praying ahead for our, the Man Church conferences right now, Lord. We all are. Uh, so a lot of men in this room will be there. People listening and watching will be there. But but I know that there are men, or maybe there's an individual man right now that can go, but just doesn't want to. And I remember that. 
I, I remember when I was running from you, I didn't want to go to anything like this. And you know why? Because I knew exactly what you were going to say, and I didn't want to hear it. Uh, but but I'm thankful, Lord, that at one day you set me up at the perfect time to hear the truth spoke into my life, which led to my conviction and my repentance and, and, and your redemption of me. And I pray that you'll take these men and they'll take that next step. Or somebody will invite them and they'll say yes. And they'll be there either in Birmingham or in Startville. Uh, and and this will be this will be the the gathering where they will experience the power of you and you'll draw them to you. Uh, in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's uh, we're we're gonna go to a very popular um, topic. Paul is about to shift in his discussion uh, with the church at Corinth, and he's gonna talk about giving. Oh, everybody loves that one. Uh, the pastors in the room, the loudest amen. Um, well, here's one thing I think that we need to be aware of, and, and I really was convicted of that again, is too many times we act like this is not a topic discussed in Scripture. You wouldn't believe the emails and stuff I get a lot of times on things like you know, people who are vocational ministers and uh, people who go and speak and get an honorarium, and how dare you, and then this and that. I got news for you. You may not like that, but God's perfectly fine with it. Uh, as a matter of fact, he calls us to take care of these people, uh, and we're supposed to take care of these people. And, and so, so Paul is uh, – there's, there, there's no one's in sin that is doing ministry, and, and there's people supporting them and, and supporting them financially. That is not sinful. Now, you'll find out that Paul, because he got tired of some of the bickering at Corinth, he went ahead and took a day job because he said, not because it's wrong for me – to get support from you because, you know, the Macedonians, they're supporting me, but y'all act so so ridiculous about it. I'm just going to go make tents so y'all don't bother me about it, and I'll just do my own. I won't ask you for a dime because you got the wrong attitude about it. But you know what? My brothers that are getting support and and, and are being supported, they're not doing anything wrong. And, oh, by the way, I have I have uh, churches that are supporting me too, but I'm going to let you miss out on the blessing of that because you got a bad attitude about it. Uh, so, so anyway, we'll, we'll take that on today, and uh, this is not something that, that Paul is going to dodge, but he's going to be strategic, and that's always smart too. Uh, so anyway, the, the financial partnership uh, in the gospel, uh, Christian giving, is what Paul now addresses in chapter 8, and he'll continue on. We won't get through all of it today. Uh, I'm going to try to get as deep into this as we can today. So let's let's look, first of all, Paul is, is wise because the first thing that he wants to do before he gets on this topic is he's thinking of what's, what's one of the best ways that we all learn? I know I do, by somebody giving you an example. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. When some, you, you ever had that where, I don't know if y'all did this when, 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 I, when I played a little ball. I don't know if I ever mentioned that I played a little ball. And, um, but, the, uh, but anyway, did, did you, ever, you ever have a coach that would call the person up that knows how to do what he wants us all to do and says, no, watch this. I, I want you hey, run. Here's, here's how you – this is the, the form I'm looking for. This is, this is what I'm looking for. So-and-so knows how to do it, so I want you to watch him. Did you ever have that happen? I did. I, it may not have anything to do with sports. It might be at work. It might be – something but but examples are always especially for males very very helpful because we're visual learners and so uh, so Paul is going to start out with a with an example uh, of how giving should be done and he's going to use the Macedonians as I just mentioned uh, the, the churches in Macedonia he says we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia now he's going to point them to that example. Let me tell you where Paul's coming from here. Paul has a burden, which he has addressed back in 1 Corinthians. Paul has a burden for the poor church in Jerusalem. 
I mean, it's just on his heart. These are his people. These are the Hebrews. The, the, this is James that's now pastoring this church in Jerusalem, and they're struggling because they are facing such persecution uh, in Jerusalem that they're they're poor. They they don't have much money to to function, and Paul felt it was the obligation, as it is for the other churches that have a bounty of wealth to help them, and he wanted them to be helped. And uh, and he said, you know, it's and, and here's one of the things, and this really struck me. So because I started out thinking, all right, well, he, he cares about this church because that's he's a form, you know, he, he's a Pharisee, he's he's connected to all this. But then, but then the commentaries you started reading went further, and I started thinking about all the things we've discussed here before. Paul realizes that a lot of the people in that church don't have their husbands because he killed them. Uh, he had them arrested. He had them put in jail. He had them executed. And he had an extra burden because there were children in this church and widows in this church that he widowed, that he made them fatherless. So he he, he had a real burden to say, we got to take care of these people because I was passionately wrong and I caused some of the duress they're in. He, he, he felt strong about that. Have you ever had that kind of burden on you? where you see something going on and you think, you know what, I played a role in this, and that really does get you more passionate about trying to find some way to help. And so he's, he's talking about that because some of these financial burdens he felt responsible for. And, and he had raised this question before, like I told you, back in the first letter that we have, and, and, and he feels like, remember what we studied last week, and if you missed that, you need to go back. It's so important that you stay with these letters to fully understand them, that you stay with them as we roll through them. What do you think has now given him a little more confidence to talk about this now? The report from Titus. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so you guys are actually responding to my letter in a positive way, so maybe I can take this topic and bring it back up. He was concerned about doing it because he thought everybody was against him and and furious, and and when he hears from Titus that actually repentance has taken place, conviction, well, if people are under conviction for one thing, Maybe it's a good time to talk to him about this. I will go back and talk about this. And so he's using that. He's going to bring it up again. And and he wanted the contribution from the church at Corinth. He does want it to be sizable because he knows they can. But he wanted it to be completely voluntary. He did not want them to be coerced into doing it, tricked into doing it, pressured into doing it. He's simply going to point out the need and he's going to point out, you know, the, the churches in Macedonia, they don't have the wealth that you do, but they sure are giving sacrificially. This would be a good example to you. And he's going to walk this and, and, and with wisdom, but this is where he's about to go uh, because he says, I want to use the word too. Notice this. This is not just random that he drops the word grace in the first sentence. Why would he drop in the word grace? What did Jesus tell us? Do not deny grace to people that I didn't deny to you. Okay? I showed you grace, so you show other people grace. So so he he's dropping that little nugget in there. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. They, they're giving because they've been shown grace. That's what's motivating them. And you know what? Maybe that's what should motivate you. All right? And he's going to talk more about that um, when he gets into verse 2. Now, let's understand the Macedonians. Uh, they were very poor, but they gave abundantly. Did you know that in the uh, those of you that live in the United States of America, that's all of us in the room, and it's overwhelmingly, 
overwhelmingly the majority of you listening and watching this. I know some in other countries, but it may be the same in your country. Uh, but in our country, the poorest states give the most. Mississippi is the number one giver. They, they outgive everybody. And, and so this is, this is what uh, Paul is pointing out. Though the Macedonians are poor, they give abundantly and they give sacrificially. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that, that brought them joy was their giving. So, so look at this, what he says. For in a severe test, I would underline or circle test, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Boy, he picked those words. He's a good writer. Uh, he picked those words well, okay? And so what he's saying is, they are facing persecution unlike anything you're facing. And if you want to see those, and their persecution came immediate. When they all begin to convert uh, in, in these pagan world, in the pagan world, boy, they, they started getting all kinds of persecution. If you want to read about that a little bit, uh, go to First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Paul also talks about this to the church at Philippi, same thing. Um, and here's the thing you'll notice about the Thessalonians and the Philippians. They were loyal to Paul. They loved Paul, they supported Paul, and Paul loved them. If you, if you read these two letters, he's complimenting these two churches. Now, he's telling them that they need to keep on being sanctified and keep on growing, but they're not getting the heavy hand that the, that the Corinthians have gotten. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but they were, they were poor and they were heavily persecuted. Notice the word test, for in a severe test of affliction. So what is Paul trying to tell all of us, not just, not just the Corinthians, that when this persecution comes upon you, it was allowed by God, and at times God will test you to see when you have every excuse in the world not to give, will you still give? They could have said it's just too hard. We've got too much. We got too much persecution. Surely that we we shouldn't. We don't have. We don't have time to to support Paul. We don't have time to support the church in Jerusalem. We got our own problems. Raise your hand if you've ever used the the problems of your own life to dodge do, giving when you should give. I have. It's just too hard right now. And you know what? You know what Paul's saying. And that's what God wants you to experience because when you when you give sacrificially, what is what do you get in return? An abundance of joy. Can, can I just tell all of this this? Scripture's full of this. I've been guilty of this. Jesus talks about this. If we are going to give and it's not going to be joyfully, then just keep it. Because, because, because God said, look, I don't need it, first of all. What I want to know is you're willing to give it. I am taking care of the ministers of the faith, and I'm taking care of them in many ways, but one of the ways I'm taking care of them is through you. And if you can't find joy in the advancement of the kingdom and you being part of it after all the other worthless garbage you spend your money on, then I'd assume you keep it. I mean, can any of us say that our money is always spent on things that glorify God? And we never waste it and spend it on foolish things. Maybe we should just take the money we spend on foolish things and give that to the kingdom. Guilty. Look, your teacher's as guilty as anybody. Okay? I know I'm guilty of this, and I'm just wanting you to ask the question if you've ever been guilty of this. So Paul uses God's outpouring of his love 
with 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 the outpouring of giving. Look, look what he says next. Okay, he he says in in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. He he wants the Corinthians to know they don't have it to give. The widows might. They may not give as big a number as you could give, but I promise you they're more sacrificial. Right? It may not be as much money as you got, but the it's sacrificial to them and you don't you wouldn't have to sacrifice. So he says they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What what he is saying is you may not see them as wealthy, but the fact that you're that you're hanging on to your money and they're overflowing with joy at the giving of theirs, they're more wealthy than you are. Because they have a wealth of generosity. And God's going to honor that. And, and, and what is what is he saying our motivation is? So God hasn't been generous to us. How many people here think that Jesus Christ being slaughtered on the cross, you deserve that? You had that coming. Or was God generous when he did that? I would say generous. I know, I know to me, <laughs> extremely generous. Uh, what I deserved is to be sent straight to hell by a holy God that should have just said, I'm done with you. But he didn't. And so, uh, and so we can't earn our salvation. We can't pay for it. But we sure can be obedient. You know? And so that's what he's saying. He said, we should, money is a touchy sub- subject. Nobody likes to talk about it. But the Apostle Paul says it should not be ignored. What the generosity that God has given us, we should pass on to others, to others, period. Verse three. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. So what, what he wants the Corinthians to know, there there was a dynamic power that they had because their giving was empowered by love, and, and they and they and they gave not just according to their means. He said that really would have been okay. God would have understood if they said, "This is all we have to give," and God, you know it, and Paul, you know it. He said, "But you know what's so incredible about them? They went beyond it, and they didn't have to." And and I will tell you this: when we do things because it looks like we didn't have a choice, look, it's better to do it than not. But let me tell you what really brings glory to God is when we do things we don't have to do. You know, think about this. We say this We say this about God's will. We don't have to do it. We just get to do it. He certainly doesn't need me, and he certainly doesn't need you. And he will do it with somebody else if we don't want to do it. And they'll get the blessing, and they'll get the joy. It's something we get to do. And that's what he is trying to drive home. He said, what I love about the Macedonians, they didn't have to be pressured. I'd have to come in with some presentation and see if I couldn't guilt them into doing it. They did it because they are automatically obedient to the God they serve. Y'all do realize what all this is, don't you? This is how we're supposed to give. See, don't, don't get in your mind this is just for the Corinthians. We are the Corinthians here. I know what we always think. I'm the Macedonians. We're not the Macedonians. <laughs> we're the Corinthians. I know I am. Okay, so so here here's what he says in, in, in four. What, what's the purpose in what they gave? Look at this. Here's their purpose. I love this because I'm the kind of guy, why are we doing this? 
Anybody else sitting here like this? If you're going to sit down and talk to me about something and you don't tell me why I should care about this, I'm gone. Why are we here? What are we doing? What's this about? Where are we headed? And, and so he says, all right, I'm going to tell you the purpose of it. Okay, look, look at four. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Wow. That convicted me to no end. They begged to be part of it. We don't want to miss the blessing of taking care of the saints. We, we want to help our church in Jerusalem. We want to help these. Please don't leave us out. How many of you, if the church had a fundraiser going on to fund pastors abroad, to fund a building that was going to glorify God and help advance the gospel, you ran into the pastor's office and said, please don't leave me out. You ever had a campaign like that, pastors? Probably not. Please don't leave me out. And how about this? I, let me, let me, I want to give till it hurts. I want to sacrificially be part of this. I don't want to miss what God's going to do with this fundraising. I don't want to be, I don't want to miss it. I, I've actually had people, I remember the first time it was said to me, and I can't remember who it was. I've heard it a lot since then, but I'd never heard it before. And I was having lunch with a person that I felt like I should get the lunch. And I said, let me get that. And he said, no, no, no. Don't rob me of this blessing. And I remember the first time I heard that, I said, I never thought of it that way. You're, you're actually ruining this moment for me by not letting me pick up lunch. This is a blessing. I want to pick up lunch for you today. Don't rob me of that blessing. And I never thought about that, but that's how the Macedonians see it. I was in the deal of, how dare me sit here and let you buy me lunch? You know, I should be the one to buy the lunch. And the guy said, where then you robbed me of the blessing. If I didn't want to buy your lunch, I'd have never offered it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, so anyway, um, that, that's, what, that, that's the attitude they have, and I wonder if that's the attitude we have. We don't want to be left out. See, see, a lot of times, let's just get real. We don't want to be left out of things that require no sacrifice for us that people might clap for us. But when it comes to taking some of our money, we're all willing to say, I'm out. I'll stay over here. Don't ask me to be part of that. But 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 God has told us to be part of that to some level. And, and so they did not want to be left out because they did not want to miss the blessing. That was their that was their motivation. And then to get into five. And this and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The purpose was that they wanted to be part of the ministry to the saints in Jerusalem. They did not want to be left out of the blessing. They were, they were poor so they could understand the plight of those in Jerusalem. You ever thought about that? You know what they said? We know what it's like to not know what we're going to eat today. See, wealthy people don't know that. And that's sometimes why those of us that are wealthy, and by the way, most Americans are compared to the rest of the world, we can't relate to no clean water. But, but those who don't have clean water can. We can't relate to not knowing what we're going to eat today, but those who've been there know. How many, how many of you feel more called to something when it's something that you've been through yourself? Yeah. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who was hurting, hurting bad. Difficulty. And the first thing that I said to him, and, he, and whatever I said, what are you doing about sleeping? He said, how'd you know I'm not sleeping? I said, I know. He goes, he was just sitting there like, the first thing you hit was, I'm not sleeping. Of course you're not sleeping. 
Your work, it, this keeps you awake at night. He goes, it really does. And so we talked about that a little bit. And, uh, you know, I feel I've, I, I, I don't know when the next time I said, you're, you, don't, you don't know when the next time you're ever going to be happy. Right. So happiness is over. I said, pretty much. But joy's not. Peace isn't. And I said, but there's nothing wrong with having a happy moment. What's wrong with saying the last couple of hours were good? You got to come off this trying to have a happy year. You ain't never going to have another one of those. But you can have a happy moment. And you can certainly be joyful. But but why did I know to go there? Because I've been there. Well, the Macedonians said, we know what they're going through. So so we 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 want to be part of what's going on. And listen what he's saying when 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 he gets to 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 five two, which is important. What he's saying is, look, he, he wants you to know that he did not have to beg them to do it. He said they actually felt like it was a commission. He said, This is not something we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God they gave themselves to us. So what did he say? The example is they they got themselves right with Jesus first. None of us know how to follow Jesus if we don't know him. None of us know what Jesus is teaching us to do if we've never figured it out. Remember, you've heard me say this a thousand times. It is impossible to know what Jesus would have us do if we don't know what he did. It's impossible for us to teach people all he's commanded if we don't know what he taught. So he said the Macedonians have gotten so in sync with Jesus first that this kind of giving just flows from them. And what by the will of God, they realize they should be supporting us. Now, that's important. And I would tell pastors everywhere, don't be surprised when you're calling people who don't, who don't know Jesus to something Jesus said. <laughs> they don't know what you're talking about. And there's no conviction. You know, if, you, if you're a devout follower of Jesus, when somebody points out that you're out of sync with him, you go, yeah, I am. Oh, I should be part of this. But if you don't know that, then you, you can't ask people to be convicted by something that, when they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not possible. So let's, let's disciple them first, and you'll be surprised the things they start doing when they, when they get the relationship with Jesus right. Speaking about me too. Uh, let's go to verse 6. Accordingly, see, this is going to show you, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should uh, complete among you this act of grace. Now here's what he's saying. He's got a commission now. I'm going to send Titus back to you. Titus is going to come back because I think you're ready to, to hear the case on why you need to be part of what's going on in Jerusalem. He said, after this report I got from Titus, I'm sending him back, and we're not going to be afraid to have this conversation. I think you're ready to hear I didn't think you were ready to hear it, but after Titus said this, I'm going to tell him to come back and talk to you all about this and not be worried about it, because I think you're all ready to hear it. Anybody ever had God get you in a position to where you were finally ready to hear from him? He has me. I can't tell you the number of times that I've cried out to him and I thought to myself, oh, I see what you're doing. You've, you finally put me in a position where I don't have any choice but to listen to you now. I want to hear what you have to say because I, I, I've tried this without you. It has not gone well. You, you ever had that happen before? You ever said that to your children? Okay, I can tell you how this is going to go. And then when they come back and it went that way, you're like, maybe I knew what I was talking about. You ready to listen now? And a lot of times they say yes. I've been there. And and he says, so I think you're ready now. And then 7 through 9, you really could sum up these next uh, verses with just the grace of giving. L- look at 7. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Boy, he's a good one. Good teacher. What do you do? Let me compliment you on the things you do well. Now, remember, the giving, they're not doing well. But he wants to acknowledge everything they've done well. That's smart. You've heard me talk about that before, and that was the leadership I saw even in my dad. If all people ever hear from you what they're doing wrong, you're not going to get very far. They're going to become frustrated. Let them hear what they're doing right as well, and then you can address what they could improve on, right? I don't know about you. That's the way I like to hear it. I don't like, to, I don't like people to act like that everything I've ever done that I thought was done right, that that, would just, that's, that, that goes unacknowledged. And now you, all you ever want to talk to me about, that, that's people, what I say, have a critical spirit. And we're not supposed to have a critical spirit. That's actually sinful, that all we ever do is point out what people do wrong. And we never affirm people. We never, we never encourage people. Um, that, that's what Paul's doing. He said, let me tell you, you guys are really something. And they were. You excel in everything. And you know what he's saying? So you should excel at this. I know there's nothing you don't excel. I, I, you got great faith. Uh, you, you know, they were all well-educated in speech. They were very knowledgeable. Uh, they were very earnest. And he says, and you know what? You know that we love you. Guys, if you ever want to hold somebody accountable, and, and ladies that may be watching, no one wants to be held accountable if they don't think you love them. It just doesn't work. You have to earn the right to hold people accountable. You have to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And so we got to take time to get to know them and so that they see whenever we correct them, it's coming from a place of we're doing this because we love them, not because we're trying to be self-righteous or have a critical spirit. So he says that. He says, you know that I love you, and I want to look at all the things you excel at, and then I love this. So you know what? You're going to excel in this act of grace also. And don't miss, he didn't say act of giving. He's too smart for that. Act of grace. He's still driving home the point that our giving comes from our appreciation from the grace that God has shown us. We're passing the grace on to other people. He didn't want them to see it as something they would begrudgingly do. You are going to excel in the gift of grace giving, not money giving, okay, even though that's what it's going to get to. And it does have a lot of different ways, and, but, but money is definitely one of them. As I've from my friends that are in vocational ministry, and Scott Dawson is the first one I ever heard say this, the evangelist and dear friend, he said, I don't do what I do for money, but what I do requires money. And, uh, and, I, and I, I remember I've talked with really wealthy people, and, I, and look, I've done really well. I'm thankful that I've done well. And you will never have a fundraising program, and you'll never advance the gospel to the ends of the earth without wealthy people. You just can't do it. And, but there are some that are very generous, and there's some that aren't. And I remember talking to one that was not, and I was trying to get them to experience the blessing of something that we were trying to do that was requiring us to raise about $300,000 in order to make an event completely free to anybody who wanted to come. But the people we were bringing in and the staging and the lights and the screens and that ain't nobody giving that to us. So, so we had to pay for all that. So we got everybody on board and I never will forget it. Um, and I kept hearing from him that we had a good gift coming. I was like, great. And he certainly had plenty. 
And so he was going to meet me. Um, maybe I shouldn't say where, but he was going to meet me somewhere, and he was bringing me the check. And I said, well, today's the day. And I'm, I've got everybody jacked. I'm like, man, we got, we're taking a big step forward today. And uh, I remember him getting out of the vehicle and handing me an envelope, which I probably shouldn't have opened, but I did. And I saw that he had got a third party to give $1,200. And he could have given tens of thousands and never missed it. $1,200, not from him, from somebody he pressured to give it. And he said, there'll be more of that to come. And I said, from you? And he just looked at me. I said, you know what? We don't need you. I said, but you're going to miss out on a blessing. I said, let me tell you, you may be clinging to that money. And I said, that money's going to make you miserable. And I said, because it's never going to be enough for you. And I said, and here was an opportunity for you to give it. And I said, and we'll do the event without you. I promise you. We'll raise every dime, which we did. And we'll do it without you. And when people are on their face before the Lord, you'll have no part in it. And you could have. But this person, whoever you pressured right here, they'll get a blessing. And not, it may not be a financial blessing, but they'll know they played a role in people's redemption. And so, so I, I, I'm just telling you, Paul has said over and over again in, in 1 Corinthians and, he, and in his other teachings, it's okay for us to have worldly blessings. There's nothing. I know people that are extremely wealthy that are devout followers of Jesus, and they give and they give and they give, and they're holy and they love Christ and all, and they are about His kingdom. But I know wealthy people that are going straight to hell are some of the most wicked people I know. I know poor people that are devout in everything, but I know poor people that are sorry and wicked. I know middle-class people that are devout followers of Jesus, and I know middle-class people that are followers of Satan. So what people has, no matter what you may have been told with bad theology, has no indication on who they are in Christ. You look throughout Scripture, he made some powerful people very wealthy. He made some powerful people very poor. It's no indicator of their spiritual state. Now, what they do with it, now that is an indicator. And what Paul said, you can have these things, just have them like open hands. Don't, don't grip them. And what I experienced was a guy who's gripping. He's gripping it. And he'll never spend all the money he has. He's too old. And I understand passing it on to his kids and his grandkids, and he should do that. But he should give. And he's one of these kind of guys that never has plugged himself into the local church. You know why? All they want is my money. I said, like, God needs your money for the local church. I think he can pull it off. So anyway, um, I didn't mean to get on that soapbox, but that's an example of what Paul is saying because this was going on with the Corinthians, and he knew it, and he was addressing it. So, uh, so then after he compliments them, and he says, you come through in all these other things. I know you're going to come through on this, but look what he says in 8. It's kind of what I had the chance to say in that driveway that day. He said this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Well, he makes it real clear. Do not let me, I'm not making you do this. And we shouldn't. Nobody should be made to give. 
Okay, he said. So let me be clear. I'm not. I'm. I, it, whether you give or not, I'm still going to keep sending Titus. I'm still going to keep working with you. So this is not a command from me, but I'm going to tell you this: the reason that you should do this is to prove by the earnestness of others, meaning looking at the Macedonians as your example, that you that your love also is genuine. He said the Macedonians they're showing their love is genuine, and this is an opportunity for you to show yours as well. But I'm not commanding it. There's no blessing in people being made to do it. I don't don't know if you know this. God's not making any of us. He's demanding that repentance in order to be justified. But he's allowed us. I know some people think that God is afraid of allowing choice. He's not. He's allowing us to do this of our own will, to just say, I submit to you. You, know, you can't even get out of the Garden of Eden without him offering a choice. Don't do that one thing. Let me decide for you what's right and wrong. You don't need to decide that. You're, you're flawed. Let me decide what's right and wrong. And Adam and Eve were tricked into saying, no, nah, we'd like to decide that for ourselves. And that's been a fun ride ever since, hasn't it? Why? Back to the devotional coming out. Sin always matters. And so, so he is saying, I'm not making you do it. I know you're going to come through. I want you to show that you're, you know what he's saying? You ever said this to somebody, maybe even to one of your kids? Just go out and show them who I already know you are. I know you're this way. Now you go, you go show everybody else that, that what I believe about you is true. You're going to come through in this. Don't you love that? You think that felt good? Um, and he said, but this is something that I want you to feel a sense of duty, not something that I'm pressuring you to do. I want you to feel it's a sense of duty on your own by conviction. And that is the better way to go about it. Because when you make people do something, you know what you usually build? Resentment. You usually don't build obedience from that. And uh, and and so now he's going to get in nine, and you know what he's going to say? Act like Jesus. You, you see him holding that one back? He hadn't played that card yet. He's talked about how gracious God's been, but now he's going to come back and say, and oh, by the way, this would be very Jesus-like for y'all to do this. Look at nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He had he held that one back. And now you, they got nowhere to go now. Well, I, if I recall, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, in need of nothing, lowered himself to a servant, lowered himself to poverty, for your benefit. What do you think Paul's saying? Act like Jesus. He sure did do it for you. Why don't you do it for the church in Jerusalem? Why don't you lower your wealth and become sacrificial in your giving to them? Just like Jesus did to you. I would underline that in verse 9. I did. I'm going to keep that with me. That's a very convicting verse because when I think about who Jesus is and what he became for me and lowered himself, I know he's back in his proper glory now, but what he did, if that doesn't prompt us to give, I think at this point I don't know what else would. Then, 10, an expectation. 
And in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also had the desire to do it. Mm. You know what he's saying? Can we revisit last year? We talked about this. Can I? It all fell apart. I'd like to go back. I asked you about a collection to send to Jerusalem. That was in 1 Corinthians. You all remember studying that? It didn't go well. And he says, but here's where I got a problem. And if there's pastors out here watching this or you've been part of a capital campaign, you know where we're going. People are real easy to pledge, but the follow-through, uh, the percentage of the pledges to follow through is, uh, yeah, yeah. So 85% is good. Yeah. So, so when you have a pledge, uh, I wouldn't go build anything on a pledge. Uh, it's uh, because, and what he's saying is y'all pledged to help Jerusalem. You just haven't. Don't you know that was an uncomfortable moment when whoever's reading the letter said, oh, he's going back to last year. Here it comes. He said, uh, I- I'm going to go ahead and lay down a moral issue. You committed to do something that you did not follow through with. I want to go back and revisit that. You said you were going to do it. You didn't do it. So then he comes back in 11, and he talks about this. He says, so now he's, – let's, let's get right on this. He says, so now – Finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Ooh, a little shot there from Paul. It's, 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 uh, it's, he's, he's trying to be as gracious as he can. You know what he says? Please stop saying you're going to do something and then not do it. There's a little Calhoun County for you. He said, don't just say you're going to do it this time. Actually do it. Be consistent. Pledge and give, don't just pledge and not give. I don't know. Anybody ever pledged before and never followed through? Uh, I have I have pledged before and adjusted. Uh, but, uh, but he says if you don't pledge it, if you're not going to give it. So maybe it would be better for us to really – I know I've been as guilty of it. I've been on capital campaigns before or – supporting a ministry before that I can be completely honest. And my wife has asked me about it. We'll be driving home. So did you go ahead and, and, and put a check in there? I did. Did you pray about that? I did not. <laughs> she goes, I don't, I mean, I'm glad we gave, but I mean, first of all, maybe we can give more. Maybe we shouldn't have given that much. You haven't really prayed about this. You haven't really thought about it. And she said, you just didn't want to have to go back and revisit that. You want to be done with the banquet and, and move on. And I said, well, that sounds an awful lot like me. Uh, and, um, but that's not sacrificial. That's not praying it through. That's not, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'd like to pledge this, but I went and I really looked. I, I don't think I can. Now, look, the tithe to, I mean, whatever we're giving to the local church, that, that, you know, that, that we're not supposed to alter on that, you know, unless, you know, your income goes down or something like that. But, but on this other stuff, you know, Yes, it should be sacrificial, but it also needs to be smart. And he's going to talk about that here in just a minute. You know, don't pledge what's going to put you in a financial bind. You know, that's not being smart. You know, most of this we can cover and never really miss it. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with 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 saying, I'm well, the vacation I want to take this year I'm not going to take. But don't get to the point where you go, not sure how we're paying the electric bill. 
You want to make sure that's paid. That's irresponsible too, because now you're testing God. And he's not, we're not supposed to be testing him. You know, we're supposed to take this excess that we have, and maybe we don't do some of the things we want to do. That's sacrificial. Or maybe we have one car, not two, or things like that. Sure. But you don't do it and say, I, there's no way I can pay my bills now, but I'm sure God's going to provide. We don't do that. And he's going to talk about that here in just a minute. So, yeah, there's many times that I have given, and even though what I gave wasn't going to hurt us, I really didn't pray about it. I really didn't take the stuff home and look it over. I was just kind of like, yeah, we can do that. Maybe I could have done more. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe maybe this is not even something God's called me to. Uh, so we need to be, and he's, he's saying, you, but you committed to this, so you need to follow along. Now, in 12, he's going to talk about what I just talked about. He's going to go practical. Look at 12. Now we just get practical. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not, a, not, a, not according to what one does not have. That's exactly the point I just made. Look, even when you feel led to give, be smart about it. He said, don't, don't try to, to get blood out of a turnip. Nobody should be pushed or pressured. Uh, it needs to be personal conviction. That should be enough. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we're not going to do this the way the world does it. We're not going to be shysters and come in here and try to manipulate you. You know, be smart. You know what you can and can't do. It should be voluntary. It should be according to your means. There's no scheme here. Show real faith. Don't get yourself in a financial bind. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you, though, to examine whether you are keeping more for yourself than you should. I am doing that. I am asking you to, to follow up on the pledge you made and not just pledge it and not give it. I am asking you those things. But he's being very clear that he's not expecting someone to be removed from their home in order to meet this pledge. He's not saying that. And you shouldn't be pressured, and we shouldn't be manipulating you. None of that should be taking place. And and um, I was reading one of the commentators, um, and he was talking about he remembered when they brought somebody in to do a, a capital campaign, and he did feel like he manipulated his congregation. And he got people in a bind. He said, so then here's what I had to deal with. After this guy took his honorarium and left, he goes, I was left behind with a bunch of people that he worked into a frenzy coming into my office saying, I can't do what I just said I could do. I'm sorry. I felt I felt really pressured by this guy, and I've overextended myself. And he goes, so we did, it didn't really help us at all. And he said he called back to do it again the next time. I said, no, thank you. All you did was call us cause us headaches. It should always be presented that you got to be responsible to your family, responsible to the people that you owe, responsible. All we're talking about is what you have above and beyond that maybe you're spoiling yourself when you could be helping somebody else. Nobody's asking you to give to the point you can't pay your bills because now you're irresponsible about paying your bills. And, uh, and it also makes it really tough on the people who need to know. <laughs> they think they've got more than they've got, and you keep coming in and say, I should have never – I was just trying to look good in front of everybody. I ain't got that kind of money. And, and it really messes the whole thing up. That's why he says we're not going to do it that way. Okay? And then he comes back, and he says that, uh, that I'm going to summarize in 13 and 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there, there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Here's what he's saying. Give them 
right now because I know your situation. The time you're in right now, you're doing well. So you give out of your current abundance. It's important. He said, because a day may come, you may not believe this, but a day may come through some unexpected calamity, the church in Jerusalem might take care of you. Now, they can't imagine that in Corinth. They really can't. But he's saying, do this because one day you may be the person in need. Right? And we look around in the, the unsteadiness of the economics that we're in and all this going on in our country. There's none of us that couldn't end up in a bind. And it'd be something that we just never saw coming. You remember all your friends in 2008 that were in construction? Remember how many businesses shut down, how many people lost their jobs? They didn't see that coming. People who used to have, who used to pick up everybody's lunch, certainly somebody needs to pick up theirs, right? And, uh, and so he said the day may come, and he says, so let's talk about equality. All must give by their means, but all should participate. Now, he's making sure he's making that point. And that's one of the things that is wrong with some of the systems that we have in our country from a government standpoint. There's no biblical mandate that people are exempt from giving. No one. Everybody should give by their means. The widows might. Back to that again. It, what she gave, and the, the Pharisees kind of like, man, look at all she could give. And, you know, what did Jesus say? Her, she was more sacrificial than y'all are. Now, she didn't have a lot, but she gave by her She gave what she had. So nobody's exempt. You know, Jesus had a chance right there to go, she's so poor she don't have to give. And he didn't do that. He said, no, that her obedience was correct. She gave a percentage of her means, and it was sacrificial. Doesn't seem like a lot to you, but her faith is stronger than yours. Because you could you could give more than you, you give. You're over there getting other people's money, not even giving your own. And uh, he addressed them on that harshly at one point. Um, so everybody should participate. The surplus that they have was to help other churches' deficit and then he said, and if your church ever has a deficit, maybe they'll have a surplus, and then they'll help you. And he said uh, that you never know. They may be called to help you. And then he goes to Exodus 16, 18, and that's, that's what he's wrapping up with in 15. This is out of Exodus. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Be smart with your money. If you got a surplus, don't spend it all because there may be a need. And those that are smart about not doing that, even through times of trouble, they got something. And he says massive wealth uh, uh, on one hand and massive poverty on the other should not exist inside the Christian community. He said, look, inside the church, we should not have churches that have nothing and that have other churches that are just these gargantuan, over-the-top there's nothing wrong with facilities. Don't hear me saying that. But what he's saying is if, if, and if you have a, a need, because I will tell you this, and I heard this from a, a friend of mine that this is what he, he did for a living for many years is working with churches and building facilities that were used to advance the kingdom of God. This, this deal that somehow if you have a big church with a lot of facility, you're not, as, you're not as close to God as the church that meets over in the theater or meets at the basketball gym, that's hogwash. And, uh, and that's not true. It's all with what people are doing with it. And, and the quote that, remember, Dallas Willard, we did The Spirit of the Disciplines, you know, the book that some of you nearly left the Bible study over. Um, the, um, then he made the point that some of the greediest people he knew 
were poor. And he said, because they're always playing the lottery. They're always trying to come up. They're always trying to get more money. They're always trying to get something from somebody else. And he said, so that that's not an indicator. And this is the thing that my friend who builds facilities for churches said. I've seen churches be arrogant about their facilities, but I've also seen churches be arrogant about their lack of facilities. We don't have all these things, so we're closer to God. And he goes, there's an arrogance in that too. And, and so that's one thing. But one thing Paul is saying is that the church community should take care of each other. And we really shouldn't have people inside our church, capital C, inside the church universal that have nothing. Those of us that have should make sure they're never in that situation. And and, and that that that's what he is saying. So uh, a lot of conviction here. In, in this lesson today, uh, but but I think what we need to take away from today is is that the Bible is not silent on giving. It's not something that we should refuse to talk about. It's not something that we should act like it's not important. It really is. And when we're looking at all the aspects of our life where we want to be in obedience to God, let's not ignore examining our life on the call to giving to see if we're right with God there too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the conviction of your powerful words. Thank you for the obedience of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for Titus. Uh, and uh, and thank you for, uh, for all those that you have called to advance your kingdom. And uh, Lord, we're just so thankful. We know that you don't need us, but we sure are thankful that you allow us to be part of what you're doing so that we can joyfully celebrate what you are doing, that we, that we were allowed to, to play some role in it. Even if that role is to say, I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll meet that need, I'll do that. Uh, and I pray this, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Thanks, guys.